Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 7. We will begin looking at verses 5 through 16. Those of you who have been with us understand that every time I move into a section, I set the framework. So today is a framework section. We just got done dealing with separation. Now we deal with comfort in sorrow. It's an amazing text. Phenomenal text. Uh, If you're wondering why I'm dropping down to verse 5, because 2, 3, and 4 came in with chapter 6 dealing with 10 points of love. And then 14 through 7-1 is dealing with be separate. And now we move into verse 5. Let's read the word of the Lord and then pray. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss of anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindications of yourselves, what indignations, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything, you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this matter. For although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice even much more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be truth. His affection abounds all the more towards you as he remembers the obedience of you all and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. This is an amazing text and... um, I'm not even sure where to begin, but I'll give it a shot. I shared with you several uh, (laughs) 
I guess it's been years ago. Didn't we start 2 Corinthians several years ago? Mercy. I don't know what to say. Um, 2 Corinthians deals with ministry. Okay, now be real careful. We have a skewed view of quote-unquote ministers today. We believe the minister is the guy that we hire to whatever. Okay, that is not a minister. I mean, they do minister. Okay, but a minister is a person who's saved. Oops. Okay, the word itself means servant. All right, so when I look at a church, I see a whole group of ministers. You know, I, I did not grow up in the church. All right, so when I started kind of getting beat around about this stuff, I always thought the minister was the guy with the suit and tie. There's the minister. And then their jobs and what you see propagated today is I need to get a whole bunch of butts in the chairs so that I can hire more ministers. Well, that's a neat philosophy. It's just not biblical. Because the church is the ministers. Okay? Chapter 3 of this letter, verses 7 through 18 says this, But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds being hardened for until this very day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. To this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, do you get that? We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Okay, do you know who we all is? The saints of God. Okay. Who is the one who brings the ministry of the Spirit? The service of the Spirit. The saints of God. And we do it, why? Because it is the behold as in a mirror. That is your and I responsibility. You're, <laughs> you are saved, Romans 8 says, because... God predetermined that you be conformed into the image of Christ. 
I know you think you were saved to go to heaven. That's a bonus. Okay? But you were saved. Every Christian ever was saved to be conformed to the image of Christ. Why? So we could, without a veil, show what? Christ. Whose responsibility is it? Well, just in case you're lingering, chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God. I hope that we are made manifest also to your conscience. Wow. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us. So that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that the one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now, if all of these are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of Reconciliation. Who has the ministry of reconciliation? We do. So when I tell you that 2 Corinthians is dealing with ministry, you see why I've concluded it? We have a ministry of reconciliation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. These are from God, who reconciled to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. And he committed to us what? The word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Again, it goes back to Romans 8. You have been predetermined to be conformed into the image of Christ. Okay? So, 2 Corinthians, ministry. It's easy to see because 1 Corinthians is what? Personal holiness. Now you got personal holiness dealt with. Come back over here and this is what you... Need to be looking at. All right. But let's be realistic. Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church. Had a conflict in it. To say the least. Okay. And yet I have to ask myself, how did he take comfort in the conflict? 
Okay? In Paul's relationships, what produced his joy? Nah, you can get into your sovereignty thing and says, well, the presence of Christ and this, that, and the other. Really? Have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever been discouraged in ministry? Okay, where did you go to get your joy? Oh, I went to the book of Psalms. Paul was waiting on the arrival of Titus. Okay. Listen, if you minister, you will be in conflict. Please understand that. But the key is, in these difficult relationships, what brings back the comfort? And I, you know, well, the presence of the Spirit. Really? Does that always work for you? I thought the Spirit never left. Just an idea. What brings comfort after conflict? I have had nothing but conflict this week. I've had conflict with the lost, and I've had conflict with the saved. I have conflict with young believers, and I've had conflict with spiritual leaders. All week long, unrelenting. Now, I can look back at it and say, at least I know I'm in the fight. Okay? But i got to be honest with you, by about Thursday afternoon, you're like, I surrender. Because there comes a time you need to be looking... Well, I'm ready for a little bucket of joy around here. This context specifically has to do with restoring a grieving pastor's joy. Because the Apostle Paul is the standard, I believe, for the pastorate. There was great sadness in Paul because of the Corinthian catastrophe. How does he get his joy restored? you got to understand, 2 Corinthians is actually the fourth letter. He had written, there was one early, then you have 1 Corinthians, then you have what is called the sorrowful letter that we don't have, but I bet was a dandy. And then you have 2 Corinthians. Okay? Listen, I showed you that this letter deals with ministry. If you're saved, you're in the ministry. You may be completely ineffectual, but it still doesn't mean you're not in it. Okay? You may have refused to separate. All right? And you're ineffectual. You may have not dealt with your own personal holiness. And you're ineffectual. Okay? But it still doesn't mean you're not in the ministry. I mean, you may produce a raisin instead of a grapevine. But you're still going to produce a raisin. All right? Do you understand that when you step into the ministry, it can be very difficult? Do you understand that if you're in the ministry, it can be uh, taxing? Do you understand that it can be painful? Do you understand that the demands of the ministry are the toughest thing that you will ever experience? I think about just preparing weekend and week out. It's very difficult. There's a lot of people who say, well, they pay you to read the Bible. Yeah, you're right. They do. Have you ever read it? 
You might want to try it. Because I hate to break the news to you. It's one of the most painful things I've ever had to endure. I remember when I first took the pulpit. My concern was always, what if I don't have it reasoned by Sunday? Well, we'll sing. It'll be easy. You know what God showed me? He says, dude, that's not how, that's what he calls me. He said, that is the least of your problems. I've put the author in your heart. You want to know your biggest problem? Weekend and week out. What you teach, is it true of you? Try that. Anybody here have a persnickety boss? Nobody? You guys are blessed. My boss is perfect. And he only demands perfection from me at his level. Rightly dividing truth week in and week out. People smile and they say, well, all you do is get up there and talk. <laughs> yeah, all right. Let me ask you a question. Are you allowing the word and the spirit to define you? That's a minister of Christ. Always reading. And as you always read, guess what? You're always submitting. And I know none of you ever have any problems with submission. Because it is always reading, always allowing the word of God and the spirit to define me that gives me the ability to give an answer for the hope that is within me. You have to confront error and you have to confront it on different levels. Sometimes it's the error of an unbeliever. Sometimes it's the error of an infant in Christ. Sometimes it's the error of a youth in Christ. Sometimes it's the error of a father in Christ. Sometimes it's the error of a shepherd. And we all love confrontation, don't we? We are required to build up. We are required to restore. We are required to reach. And you always do it with the truth. That is a minister. We are to deal with the wounded. We are to deal with the weak. We are to deal with the faint hearted. We have to deal always with the rebellious. And all of that is ministry. And you know what I've learned? In some cases, the only reward with that relationship will be seen in heaven. You see nothing here. But there's a positive side to these relationships. Those between the minister and those we minister to. There is great riches. There's nothing greater than to see changed lives. I cannot tell you how that overwhelms me. But the problem with changed lives are, it usually is a very elongated time before you see the changed life. 
Okay, And you know what? You can complain about it. Go ahead. But I'm going to ask you a simple question. How long did the Lord wait for you? I have a family. They're not in this church anymore. They came to this church years ago. And what I've learned is, is there's times that when you have an effect on lives, every once in a while, someone actually appreciates it. It's kind of amazing. You're like, what? I had a family that was in this church. I can't remember. We were downtown when I first met them. And, of course, they were deep doctrinal and theological thing. And, you know, they they have to meet with me like five times to nail down your theology. And, you know, I, I'm a simple man. My theology is just biblical. Okay? And I don't know why I need multiple meetings to tell you that twice. But anyway. They decided to attend this church. And uh, over the course of time, they explained to me they were having, uh, for lack of a better term, horrific marital problems. Okay, that's the best I can describe it. I don't want to go into detail. Okay? And uh, we were together in ministry for uh, a number of years. And God just fixed them and since then they've moved on they've been in different parts of the country and they continue to walk with the king they continue to seek out the proclamation of the word they are submitted to the word they have grasped the truth they apply the truth they proclaim the truth and they walk the truth but every year on their anniversary their anniversary okay now you gotta understand i didn't marry them okay Every year on their anniversary, they call me up and they thank me that I saved their marriage. And I tell them, (laughs) I didn't save your marriage. I just said, here's what the Bible says about marriage. They said, but you took the time to walk what you talked and kept pointing us back to Scripture. And every year on their anniversary, they call me. And they say, oh, we thank you. And uh, they just celebrated their, uh, or no, they're going to celebrate their 30th. Is it 30th? I think 30th. I didn't marry them. (laughs) And uh, they've asked me to come and be a part of their uh, anniversary celebration. And I I don't think I can pull it off. But, okay, as a pastor, that's amazing. Because like I said, I didn't marry them. They'd been married years before I ever run into them. Okay, now I'm not saying that because I want you to say, hey, good job. I'm saying there are positive in those when you invest in those people and they grasp truth. That's amazing to me. There are positive in those who take that truth and they apply it. And because when they grasp it and they apply it, they will walk in their lives and proclaim it. And you know what? As a brother in Christ, it don't get better than that. (laughs) It just don't. Why? You can watch the Word of God change the souls of people. That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. As a pastor, as a brother, we look, I look, as a brother in Christ, for every single one of you, I don't care if you're first-time visitor or whatever you're doing. I look for response. I want to see the Word of God make you respond. 
I want to see the Word of God break you to submission. I want to see the Word of God support you so that you encourage other fellow saints. I want to see the Word of God produce a room full of co-laborers in the ministry. Because when that happens, I got no greater joy. No greater joy on the planet Earth. It's a privilege to be an ambassador. But, at this point in the Apostle Paul's life, which seems a lot in the Apostle Paul's life, most of the time in the life of those who are ministers, that falls short. Ministry can easily lead to grief upon grief upon grief upon grief. Now, I want to be specific about this. I'm not talking about the task. I'm not talking talking about the task of ministry. The study of the Word. Knowing the Word better because then I know God better um, and then living it out, that brings great joy. Ministry has grief. Okay? But when you deal as a servant with relationships, okay? Sheep to sheep, sheep to shepherd, you're still dealing with people. There's not a true pastor who doesn't know grief. True shepherds. There's not one out there who doesn't know grief. There's not a true minister out there who doesn't know grief. Those we invest in the most, they have the least return. That's the grief. This letter is a servant's broken heart. But it's ministry. It's ministry. Let me show you some stuff here. Chapter 1, verse 4. Speaking of God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we are able to confront those who are in, comfort those who are in any affliction. You know what he just said there? If you're not getting affliction, what's wrong? (laughs) The comfort with we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours. Okay, that's a good statement. But then he says, in abundance. So also we comfort in abundant through Christ. Verse 6. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort and which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering. Verse 8. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction. It came to us in Asia as we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Verse 9. Indeed, we had the sentence of death 
within ourselves so that we would not trust ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Verse 10, who delivered us from great peril of death will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You know, I read that just those little verses right there and figure out how does the prosperity gospel fly? That don't fit. And I mean, I can tell you truthfully, when it comes to a pastor, church planner, whatever you want to call it, evangelist, ain't nobody takes second. Everybody takes second to the Apostle Paul. A long second. And yet he's saying, it's suffering and affliction. Paul was the man in the middle of severe. This is outside persecution. He's on the edge of death. And he's only on the edge of death. He's only wanting to be crucified, killed, murdered, whatever, because he's preaching truth. Move on over. Chapter 6. Verse 4 and 5. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God with much endurance in affliction, in hardship, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. Verse 9. As unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold, we live as punished yet not put to death. Paul's life. A minister of external persecution. Move on over to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 23. As servants of Christ, ministers, I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beating with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in the dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers from in the cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and in hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposed. That's Paul's life. Chapter um, 12, verse 10. Therefore, I'm well content in weakness, with insult, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulty for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, as a pastor, if you look at Paul's case, guess what? It would be easy to say as a minister of Jesus Christ, it is easy to lose your joy. It is easy to be discouraged. It is so easy that it absolutely takes no problem. All you have to do is stand in truth and everybody hates you. But do you know what is amazing to me? This is outside. Okay, this is outside. I was reading John Knox's daughter. (laughs) she married this guy I can't remember his name but he had an opportunity to speak before Queen Mary (laughs) do you know who Queen Mary is Bloody Mary Um, she would take those men who own Bibles and eviscerate them and then dip their Bibles into uh, the wound Uh, nice lady (laughs) 
John Knox's daughter was married to this guy, and he stood before her and says, you give Jezebel a good name. Ooh. Guess what? Persecution is <laughs> getting ready to be wheelbarrowed right up in front of you. But do you know what's amazing to me? And it's a thing that I see completely absent in the body of Christ today. Verse 28 of chapter 11. You want to know what broke, hurt Paul more than anything? Persecution, threats of death had no problem. Verse 28, apart from external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all churches. How easy as a minister the church can crush your joy. You know what I've learned as a minister? I expect the attack from lost. But when it comes from the church, it bears a wound that I'm not sure heals on this side of heaven. It wasn't what the world did to the Apostle Paul that crushed him, that pressured him. It was what the church did that caused him grief. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Do you know what made the Apostle Paul cry? The church. Anguish of heart. What made him cry? It wasn't his persecutors from the outside. It was the response of the church on the inside. He had been with the Corinthians for a year and a half. He had invested himself. He had invested truth in them. Not allowing false teachers. Now they were allowing false teachers. They were attacking the character of Paul and... Many of the Corinthians were joining and believing and they were following in chapter 12. We'll see the messenger of Satan who was a thorn in Paul's flesh. So between 1 Corinthians and the sorrowful letter, the Apostle Paul decided he would visit Corinth. He had received had written the first Corinthians, and you've seen that, they had gotten so silly that they were touting as freedom in Christ a man who had his father's mother, wife, as great freedom in Christ. They were corrupting spiritual gifts, perverting them in the name of Jesus Christ. So he gave them a pop-up visit. At that time is when the messenger of Satan confronted him face to face in the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul. He confronted and mistreated the Apostle Paul. And you know what broke his heart? Not that a false teacher would confront the man of truth. But what was the response of the church? There was no response. None whatsoever. Nothing, not even directed at the one who did the confrontation of the Apostle Paul. 
Listen, he understood that no response on this event allows gangrene to grow. Chapter 2, verse 1. But I determined this for my own sake, that I would not come to you in sorrow again. He said, I don't want to go back and talk to you people. That's why he wrote the sorrowful letter. Why? To have that happen? This is a church that I founded. There's no body of Christ in Corinth, but God called me to Corinth. And when someone would defame me, blaspheme me, attack my character, your response is nothing. No, I, I wrote a little note here and I said, talk about lack of discernment. To say the least. His sorrowful visit. Because they hadn't dealt with the problem. If you read through that right there in chapter 2, 1 through 4. For if I caused you sorrow, who then makes me glad but the one whom I made sorrowful? This very thing I wrote you so that when I came, I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice. But having confidence in you and all of my joy would be the joy of you all. For much afflictions and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears so that you would be made sorrowful. Not that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. Heartache got greater. He wrote the sorrowful letter. And he sent Titus with that letter. Now, <laughs> he, and he, he wants to know what the response is. Now, I, <laughs> here's the way I, I have a warped way of looking at it. I thought, poor Titus. Dude, you got a letter here that Paul says is a sorrowful letter. They've already offended the Apostle Paul and you want me to deliver it? Really? What do I look like, your sacrificial lamb? I look at it and say, man, Titus is a pretty brave soul. Verse 12 of that one, he says, When I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and a door was opened for me, I had no rest in my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but making leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. Do you understand that? He said, I left and went to Troas thinking that I'm going to bump into Titus to find out what the response to the sorrowful letter was. And yet, a door for the gospel was open. I had no rest in my spirit because Titus wasn't there. I don't know what this body of believers is doing. How can I minister? And yet a door was open. I can tell you how that works. Let me show you something that so many of us forget. Okay? Just in case you're curious. Just in case. Because this is a verse that I guarantee you very few in the pews have ever, ever, ever read. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. Interesting verse. 
How many in the pews today have ever read that verse, let alone let it be part of who they are? Do you submit and listen to those in authority over you so that they can minister in joy? Paul had sent a letter to the Corinthians, had no response when he got to Troas and couldn't even walk through an open door. The Apostle Paul. The Corinthians were not adding to the Apostle's joy. He didn't know. Paul didn't know. He didn't know what their response would be. He didn't know how they would treat Titus, how can I minister? How can I continue serving even if a door for the gospel is open? One who had so much grief is unprofitable to the people that he ministers to. And if you have a passion for the body of Christ, the church, as you should, as a saint of God then your primary function is to try to edify, restore, and reach. If you are a pastor, it is your responsibility to do the same. But I can be honest with you to tell you that some people have no understanding of what it is to commit joy to those in leadership over them. It's pretty amazing, actually. And they wonder, well, he just doesn't minister to me. Well, perhaps you sucked the life out of him. Am I allowed to say that? It doesn't matter now, does it? Them words done fall out. Paul went from Troas on up to Macedonia. Guess what? Paul's still restless. He's listening for Titus because he wants to know, is there repentance? Confronting false teachers. How would they treat Titus? They won't confront false teachers. What are they going to do with a man who's bringing truth? Now, I want to show you something. Okay, because it's a fascinating thing here. Go back to 2 Corinthians. If you look, chapter 2.13, I had no rest in my spirit. Not finding Titus, my brother, but taking leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. Okay, now look what happens. Okay, this is fascinating about this letter. It's kind of complex. Are you ready? Sitting down, everybody's paying attention. If not, you're going to be completely lost for the rest of these 12 messages. No rest in my spirit. Okay, so he's talking to them about what's going on. Okay, I sent you the sorrowful letter. I was waiting for Titus's response. How are you going to respond? Did you kill Titus? Dude, he's not, he's not in Macedonia. He's not, he's not in Troas. We were supposed to, I thought I'd bump into him someplace. Okay. But if you look at this letter, verse 14, okay, through chapter 7, verse 4, Paul deals with his Ministry. This is what I do. Go read it. You go through. He stops at verse 13. Then verse 14 through 7, 4, he's dealing with his ministry. This is what I do. But then, 
In chapter 7, verse 5, the narrative comes back. You see that? Now, I've been reading this book every day for nine years. Okay, so I've sort of seen this coming. But if you don't read the book, I'm slower than many. Okay? But if you look at it, that's how that letter breaks. 13, he stops with the narrative of mercy. Verse 14, he says, verse 14 through 7-4, he says, this is what I do. Okay? Verse 5, chapter 7, for even when I came into Macedonia, oh wait, where was he going after Troas? There you go, he picked it back up. For even when I came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. You know what he's saying? I haven't run into Titus. I don't know what their response was. I don't know if they repented. I don't know if they killed Titus. I don't know if they're trying to kill me. I'm a little nervous about this because these buggers couldn't even confront a false teacher. They were allowing the perversion of spiritual gifts. They were getting drunk at the Lord's table. I think they've got some problems. How are they going to treat Titus? Now the story of what happened and how he begins to deal with. He had no relief when he got to Macedonia. Why? There's, now, why? Holy Spirit ain't in Macedonia? I know. He left his book of Psalms in Troas. Because he could have read his book of Psalms and everything would have been better. No, he was waiting for another saint to come and comfort him and restore to him his joy. Are you one of those saints? Do you bring comfort? Are you one of those <laughs> that suck the life out of everybody? <laughs> his flesh had no rest. Just as he said in chapter 2, verse 13. Okay, look what he says here. Now, I'll pick it up in five. We came to Macedonia. Our flesh had no rest. Flesh is self. It's who I am. I stand here in front of you in the, in the flesh. Our flesh had no rest. Why? We were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, and fears within. Okay? There's no rest. Inside or outside, there's no peace, there's no joy. He's concerned for the church. If this, listen, I am not a theologian. I know this emphatically from my study of Scripture and my understanding of history. My concern for the church. If the church doesn't deal with sin, false will come. Every time. And when it shows up, guess what? It eats like gangrene. Listen, please understand this. Every time. If a person, you know, if a person comes in who is lost into a church, they should not be comfortable. You cannot be in the holiness of God and be comfortable in your sin. You know, we've got it in our mind. Well, let's just bring all those lost people in and we'll get them saved. That's not what church is for. 
Church is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Like minister. I don't want a bunch of lost ministers. Paul was wondering how do they deal with the letter? How do they deal with Titus? Paul was troubled, to say the least. He had the pain and the stress of life, and there was no relief. Why? Because he didn't know the response of the church. He didn't know what the saints were going to do. Sort of like Proverbs thirteen twelve. You can look it up later. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's a shepherd's heart you're seeing right there, people. That's what a shepherd is. You can go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 7 through 12, and you see that he says, When we were among you, we were as gentle as a mother nursing their own child. I'm thinking that you can't get a better picture of gentle. Just a thought. Okay, He says, But we warned you as a father. That's a shepherd. That's what a shepherd does. Listen, as a minister, you will deal consistently with disobedient believers. I have people who come to me and ask, counsel me on this. And I'll give them counsel on you. They walk away and you're like, they're not going to do that anymore in a man in the moon. Okay. I have Christians come to me and says, when biblically can a Christian divorce? You ain't asking me that. You're saying, do something with my conscience because I'm out of here. What book would you recommend for Christian divorcing? Hosea? Just an idea. You know what? You deal with the unfaithful. You deal with disobedience. And it still to this day breaks the heart as it would the Apostle Paul. I cannot even begin to tell you how many broken-hearted pastors that I know. You know why? Disloyalty is the norm. Listen, if they'll turn on the Apostle Paul, do I really think I've got a chance? I mean, the Apostle Paul could preach a long time. Somebody could fall out the window and die and raise him from the dead. I'll just do their funeral. You know, I'll tell them, you better be set on them windows in the back. As you go out these, I know the director of the funeral home. <laughs> that disloyalty is the norm, and the disloyalty to the faithful servant is the single greatest thing that will take the joy out of ministry. And it does it consistently. Chapter 7, verse 5. He says, I'm afflicted on every side, inside and out. If the word is markarii, uh, we get makaria is the word sword, but it has to do with outside fighting. Outside fighting. Sometimes it's quarreling. Those who oppose truth, when they oppose truth, or they don't want to hear truth, or I don't want to hear about this faith thing, or, well, I know that's what the Bible says, but, well, as soon as you do that, All I want to do is shake your hand because I need to meet another editor of Scripture. 
because they are everywhere. This church was even afflicted. Now, brother, we wish, chapter 8, verse 1, we wish to make known to you grace of God that has been given us to the churches in Macedonia. That is a great ordeal of affliction in the abundance of their joy, their deep poverty overflowing in the wealth of their liber- liberality. They were poor and yet they were rich. The churches in Macedonia were being persecuted. Go back through it. Listen, Paul was in Philippi. The Macedonians remember him. Paul was in Thessalonica. They left Thessalonica. They run him out after at least three Sundays. And they chased him. He went to Berea 50 miles away. And he was searching the scriptures with the Bereans. And they came from Thessalonica to run him out of Berea. He took off and went down. to Listen, they knew who this man was. In Philippi, the riots broke out. And they throwed his butt in jail. Then there was this earthquake. And he broke the jail. Okay? They knew who this guy was. And they wanted him out of the neighborhood. So the churches that were left in Macedonia had a reputation of being founded by who? Which means they're going to bear the brunt. It says fears within. That's the word we get phobia from. It has to do with anxiety. He said, I understand this. I know what it is. We came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without and fears within. Okay? People who say that they're just cruising around and there's nothing going on, really? Then you ain't doing anything. You ain't doing anything. I remember I spoke down at Western State University in Gunnison. (laughs) I can honestly tell you, when I was leaving Gunnison, I was in a hurry. Because I had people furious. Okay? And they were all non-believers. I don't know why somebody throwed my end of that. I had no idea. I thought I was going down to teach a college Bible study to college-age believers. They lied to me. I ended up debating professors on evolution versus creation. Really? And I mean, you could see the veins sticking out on the sides of their heads. And I was like... Oh, gee, and I've got a little four-cylinder Dodge that I don't think is going to get fast enough to get out of this town. It's the anxiety. Paul's concerned for the church because it was his heart broken over the church. Verse 6, he says, But God who comforts the depressed is this translation. Uh, It literally means the humbled. God comforts the humbled. Comforts the depressed. He comforted us. How? Reminding us his spirit was there and the book of Psalms showed up. Nope. How did he comfort us? By the coming of Titus. You have a grieving pastor, a grieving minister. He's moving around. He's heartbroken. He's so restless that a door for the gospel has been opened and he is so troubled he can't proceed through that door. The Apostle Paul, he's because of the dis- disloyalty and the lack of love of the people that he has poured himself into. Grief and sorrow. And then Titus shows up, and what happens? He's comforted. He is comforted. Okay? 
that, brothers and sisters, sets the stage of where do you get comfort in sorrow? Because I got news for you. If you minister, if you step up, you get sorrow. You will get sorrow. And you will get it in mass quantities. But where do I get my comfort? Where do I get my comfort? Okay? But no, we'll deal with it. But if you're going to minister, meaning that if you're saved, know that sorrow is coming. How do I get comfort in that sorrow? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his ministry that even continues this day. And Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your precious bride, your church. Father, I pray for these who have ears this day. They will be overwhelmed with passion and love and care for your church. And that, Father, that those who minister, the true ministers, the faithful ministers, will be appreciated. And that, Father, that we who labor alongside will say, I want to be like that. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. Help us to be overwhelmed by your presence. Help us to rejoice in the joy of our salvation and the privilege of being in the bride of Christ. To your glory and praise, in Christ's name, amen.